What up, everybody? We've got another podcast. Um, but first, I just want to let you know what's going on with All I Need. Uh, we just have our Surf Expo Mini Ramp Deathmatch. That was fucking sick. I'm hyped we pulled that off. Everyone came out. We gave out like $1,000 in cash. And literally everyone was shredding. All ages. From 9-year-old girls to 59-year-old men and everything in between. Everyone fucking killed it. Um, yeah. Please check out allineedskate.com, and you will see that we just released some glasses, some uh, a big mug glass with glass etched All I Need into it. We only made about a dozen of each of these. There's a coffee cup and a beer mug. Uh, those are now available on the web store for 12 bucks while supplies last. Uh, I couldn't possibly get another run made. Uh, my friend does make them, but right now I just figured I'd do 12 of each and see if they moved, and if they did... And there was more demand, then I'd do more. But for sure, there's only 12, so get on them while they exist. Uh, and if you click on the store, we have the glasses are the first thing you'll see. You'll see the In the Trenches coat jacket. I believe there's only two left. There might be a medium and a large, I think, left. So those are going. Um, our decks are up there. You can always cop our decks in your local shop if you want to support your shop. If you and, and if they carry our decks, which would be rad. Um, we have our Thrive Prosper Eyes series, our Wartime series. We got some of those All I Need Gansett decks lurking out there. Those were limited supply. Um, but, you know, if you don't live near a skate shop, you can always shop at allineedskate.com. All the money goes back into supporting skateboarding. More skateboarding trips, more skateboarding videos, more live skateboarding events, um, audio with the Shetler Show podcast, more episodes of that, uh, the vlogs, uh, of all of it. So, yeah, so either way, it all trickles back into skateboarding some way or somehow. Uh, also we have our pack and go windbreaker that crushes that's $40 and we have it I believe we have it in three colors this thing I love this thing it's a windbreaker it folds up into its front pocket so you can kind of it turns into a little pouch and you can take it wherever you want like especially when I'm traveling on the road I know it might rain I just stuff this uh, the pack and go into a front pocket I get a little pouch sometimes I throw my little weed jar in there because it's got cushion from the, the windbreaker and then when I get there I just pop that thing out I can carry it around it's easy um, yeah, we have three colors. We have black, maroon, and a stone color, which I really, really like. Um, and we have our comfy hoodie. That's up there as well. That thing's super soft, super warm. Uh, I know because I'm in the fucking... We're about to get a snowstorm tomorrow, and I just have layers on. So I try to find the warmest stuff we can uh, possibly produce. Um, yeah, so please, check out All I Need Skate. Dot com. Also, this episode is brought to you by World Industries. What's new with World? Uh, we're building a team around based around the footwear. Um, the first skate model is my shoe, the Shetler shoe, and it's uh, online now. It's available at worldindustries.com. Um, and same thing, like if the shoe do, does well, I'll be able to do more trips and take the team out there and create more skateboarding content and kind of live it, love it. Um, and enjoy it, man. I have some young kids that fucking kill it, and I really want to take them around. I want to bring them to Tampa Am, obviously get them to the New England Am. I want to try to get them out to Cali so they can kind of experience just traveling and meeting people and going to events and just filming, and we'd vlog it all and put it out there as well. So, yeah, that's the goal. We have my shoe out there as the first skate shoe. Um, I have three dudes I'm hooking up. I'll announce them soon. Um, one is Kevin Clem for sure. You guys should type his name in, Google Kevin Clem or YouTube, 
check out his vlog at, on YouTube as well. Um, yeah, he fucking kills it. And there's two other guys I'm just waiting to announce. And oh, we're also working on some decks with World as well. So they'll be releasing some limited edition uh, Flame Boy, What Willie, Devilman skateboard decks, um, which the team will be skating also. So those are coming. I'll keep you guys in the loop. Uh, their online store, worldindustries.com, they have like, I think it's like 30 stickers, like classic, iconic world stickers. Let me just go there. So I've been riding for World for a while, man. I'm kind of tripping on it. <clears throat> Yeah, the first thing that pops up when you go to worldindustries.com is my name, which is kind of cool. <laughs> and it has my uh, the Shetler shoe, my second pro model mid-top shoe right there. I'm super hyped on it, man. It's a mix of suede leather. Uh, it's got a little camo print on the upper heel. It's like small little touch. Uh, it's black and red. It shreds. It, it, it holds up. It's like a proper skate shoe. Like The thing about skate shoes nowadays is it's more about fashion than function, kind of. They make all these shoes super thin because that's what trendy and cool and, like, I like the way they look and feel when they're super thin, but they fucking hurt your feet, dude. If the board, like, flings out, hits the side of your shoe, you could have a bruise on your foot for, like, two weeks and just not be able to skate, which is a bullshit, you know? Um, so I just, with my shoe, I wanted to find the middle ground. Not too thin, so it hurts your feet and you're jumping down stuff and it's just fucking aching and you're like, why am I even wearing these things? And I just also didn't want to go the other route where it's too goddamn puffy. Like, that's... Seems like skateboarding's full of extremes. <laughs> but, so, I didn't want it like a moon boot, where you can't feel any of your board, and, like, you just can't feel anything. You feel like you're walking with Kleenex boxes on your foot. So I found, like, a slim, middle-of-the-road, mid-top, not too thick, not too thin, has the cushion in the right spot, like, up around the ankles. The, the tongue has some padding to it, but not too ridiculous, you know? Um, and it's just kind of reminds me of like a 90s basketball skate shoe, you know, it's like the hybrid, you know, it's more skate than basketball, but it has that black, uh, black with the white sole with the red hit and it's got like a nice form and shape to it. I'm super proud of what we designed. Uh, and the cool thing, coolest thing is like, I get a skate, a shoe that is, that I'm really proud of and I'm stoked when people support it and cop one. And if you do leave me some feedback, that would be fucking epic. Um, but yeah, check everything out at worldindustries.com. I'll go to their stickers collection. Like I was saying, it's nothing, nothing to laugh at. Some of the iconic logo, logos like the World Industries with the pitchfork and Flame Boy and Wet Willie fucking each other up. We got the Devilman sticker up there. There's a lot of cool stuff, man. I'm super stoked on it. Check it all out. Um, today's guest is legendary Jim Gray. Speaking of Surf Expo, man, I was just down there and he was one of the, one of the oldest dudes on the ramp. Him and his buddy came up to me and were like, hey, you're going to do an old man division for the Surf Expo? I was like, and I just told him, I said, look, man, this is my first year doing this event and uh, I just want to make it awesome. Like, I, I, like we just got to pull this thing off because we have an opportunity to create a sick mini ramp deathmatch at Surf Expo where there's a huge crowd and tons of booths and all this stuff. And I was like, I can't really do an old man section, but we're going to do a free-for-all. So, like, I don't care if you're, like, a little, little person, little girl, boy, whatever, or the oldest dude. Like, get in the ramp. Add, like, be part of the show. Add some energy. And they were like, damn, that's sick. We're in. So they came and shredded. And I was like, thank you so much. This is sick. And then the whole thing was wild. Like, so many people showed up. We packed that ramp. We put, Everyone who shredded put on a hell of a show. And uh, we gave out, like, a, over $1,000. 
and I broke it up in like 20s and 50s and thank you to the sponsors ProTech, Bear Mattress, uh, Eastern Skate Supply for helping give out that cash to help put on the show, you know? And uh, yeah, I don't know. It was like the life of the show, I felt. It has the most energy at the trade show, you know? Everyone's working, selling, looking at lookbooks, trying to sell something. It gets kind of monotonous, monotonous like three days in a row, you know? And uh, they, you need to have some fun in the middle. So skating was just kind of that perfect uh, control chaos, like um, perfect thing to have at the trade show where people could watch but also participate. And it was so sick. I'm so proud of that. The, edit, the edit's up at allineedskate.com, the full edit of the event. <laughs> it's pretty wild. Dan McGrath crushed it. Good looks, man. And the All I Need crew to Goonin, Billy, My Lady Dash, Jeff Talzmanic. Uh, Mike Hathaway, everyone who came down and helped me run the event and set up the booth, and uh, you guys are a fucking king and queen. Um, yeah, I don't know where I'm going, I'm rambling a little bit, but yeah, Jim Gray did not let me down. I saw him on the ramp, he was shredding, he was kind of outspoken, he was up on the ramp, and when you see Jim, you're like, dude, this guy has such a good style and power, he does all these frontside slash grinds, the fakie, and like, he does a lot of tricks, but you could just tell when someone spent a lot of time on their skateboard. And you can tell, like, he hadn't slowed down a bit. He's still shredding. He's probably making it a point to get out there and skate once, twice a week, if not more. You know, he's try probably trying to find time to do it amongst all the other things that he does. Um, but, yeah, I always feel like that's the truth. When you see someone who's skating super well and they just seem like they're they're doing what they can do the best they can, it's always the truth, man. It's usually they're doing pretty good in life, you know. They're, they're at least working on their skating. So, Jim, Jim, I was just like, he'd make a sick guest for the show. I could just tell by the way he skated, the way he carried himself and talked. And, um, yeah, man, he didn't let me down. I'm hyped that this uh, we made this happen. Thank you, Jim. Uh, it was a pleasure having you on. And before I go, I just want to say thank you to everybody listening. Um, this show is fucking awesome to me. It's really um, a rad part of my life. I I've really enjoyed this. It's been a hell of a ride, and it couldn't happen without you guys listening um, and giving me feedback. You guys have helped improve the show and just helped carry me through. Like, sometimes I'm just not in the mood or I'm, like, on edge, and you guys reach out, leave a comment, and be like, I listened to this episode, and this was cool, and whatever feedback you're willing to give me. And, and I've had some assholes give me some feedback, and I've had some people, you know, where they were just rude as shit, but, like, Whatever, I just took it in and was like, eh, they're kind of wrong, so fuck them. <laughs> but then I've had people point shit out to me, and uh, at first I felt that way, but then I thought about the comment, and I went back, and I was like, you know what, they're kind of right. There was some truth in that, you know, and they weren't an asshole. And that helped me as well, and that's helping me as well with growing this show. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like we're doing something special with the show, collecting all these, like, interviews with these iconic skaters and people that contribute to skate culture and art and uh, video and audio and like just everyone who's contributed to all of this um it's enriched my life greatly so to have this podcast and have it still growing weekly means a lot to to me and thank you to everyone out there sharing it because it's kind of cool the more you share the podcast uh, I'm, it's easier for me to get more guests on, and different guests, and just, like, the more it spreads, the more, um, I can meet people and have all different types of guests for you, um, and I've had sponsors of the show, and some have gone, some have stuck with it, and you guys help produce this whole thing and give me time to actually do it, because my time is, like, taken up by so much stuff, a lot of it is, like, you know, I still work, you know, nine to five, I just... 
it's you know it's manufacturing and producing clothes and it has to do with skating not always but you know like i've literally jumped in the trash like they had me pushing the trash down because the dumpster is going to be taken away we need to make a lot of room you know so like a nine to five and uh the more i can get away from that nine to five and more on uh just working on skate stuff it really is helping me heal <laughs> so thank you for sharing that's all i'm saying like the more you guys share this podcast the bigger it grows and and i feel like it's given me a chance to talk about skateboarding listen to people that have been involved in skateboarding and contribute to create podcasts and vlogs and trips and videos and expos and events and demos and that's like what i really love doing is just being part of it and in the trenches of skateboarding so the more I get to do that, the better. And, you know, like, <sighs> I'm older now, you know? So, like, when I was younger, I was doing all the skating part of it, you know? But now I'm setting up the events and doing the interviews and filming the uh, other dudes that are crushing it and destroying it where they're just at their max, where they're... It's like I want them to reach their full potential and I want to film it and show it to people and just... I don't know, it's a different role right now for me in skateboarding, but I'm really grateful to be involved and to, to be doing all this epic shit in my mind. And it's all because of you guys, it's because of this and sharing and spreading, get the mission statement out there like with all I need. All you guys that love skateboarding contribute to it. You guys, you guys make this fucking skate world so cool and I appreciate it. I'm sorry for fucking rambling, but I gotta get it out while I'm breathing, you know? get the roses while we're all breathing still so we can appreciate them end of the day thank you and please check out the sponsors of the show all i need skate.com tons of awesome content all epic shit everything we do with all i need i post it right on the the front page of the website so the, all the podcasts all the vlogs please check out the vlogs um the video blogs and on youtube and if you watch one of them please subscribe to our youtube channel that helps as well um and thank you to world industries for the footwear opportunity, let me build a team, and resurrecting kind of one, not kind of, one of the most iconic brands with one of the most crazy histories um, that has ever existed in skateboarding. And once again, Jim Gray, you're the fucking man. Thank you for this. I just love the skating and the scene. Rain, rain, go away. All I need is a skateboard today. Board today. Board today. This is the Shetler Show featuring professional skateboarder, podcaster, and All I Need Skate founder, Anthony Shetler. So everyone was, it was hot. Everyone was doing it. Yeah, they're looking for their dad's fucking metal skaters in the garage. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Get on this thing. <laughs> Each episode brings you amazing discussions with interesting people from all walks of life. Kind of when skateboarding clicked for me and you learn some tricks or whatever and you get that appreciation from your peers, you know, the other skaters are like, holy shit, like, yeah, dude, that's rad. Admiration. Yeah, yeah the admiration or the, the affirmation. Real. Recognize real. If I didn't experience those crazy moments to my life, then these great moments would never be as great as they have been. Honestly, like for me, I just loved it. Like I saw those dudes, I saw those videos, and I was like, holy fuck, this is sick. Yeah. This is what I want to do. Hell yeah. Jim, 
<laughs> I just been checking out the stuff on the wall, dude. What's all this stuff behind you? Yeah, please, that'd be sick. Alright, let's, uh, let me, uh, unplug this thing for a second. I got my little tripod. Let me show you. Let me film off the camera. Damn, you have so much stuff. Camera. That's sick. Alright, boom. Alright, well, I mean, you may or may not know. Obviously, you know, but my name, a skater, whatever like that. I, uh, I've probably done as much stuff in the skateboard industry as any other person on Earth, really. Nice. Uh, because I started as a young little grom, got sponsored at 13 years old. Um, you know, was fortunate to ride for one of the big brands of the late 70s and the 80s, which was Gordon and Smith. You know, my teammates were Billy Ruff, Neil Blender, Chris Miller, you know, and, and me. That was like our core squad, so I was very legendary at the time. No, and then I went on to be partners with Larry Balma, who owned Tracker Trucks and Transferred Skateboard Magazine. Uh, and uh, we, we did a bunch of stuff. I sold all the ads for the magazine for a few years. And then in 1991, I started Acme Skateboards. So, um, you know, I made a couple million skateboards in my factory before I closed it. That's my presses pressing. You know, I used to press about a hundred boards an hour. Wow. Uh, we had twenty-four cavities, and so from about nineteen ninety-five to two thousand and eight, we made you know whatever between a few hundred and a thousand skateboards a day uh, for many people from the uh, Alien Workshop, Birdhouse, you know, to obviously all our own brands. Uh, these are just little figments of my life. I mean, there's a, a blockhead uh, poster that was a kind of late late 80s to, you know, just a 1990-ish brand that I rode for, and, you know, I had a few models on on them. I have, you know, moments that mean a lot to me. That's the turning point ramp, the famous, like, kind of half-pill-shaped plexiglass ramp that one of the first thing we semi-did loops in, but kind of a cheater loop. Whoa, is uh, it blue? Like a loop, you know, doing looping around it, because you could ride, you could carve this thing and ride around it. Oh, so yeah. It was, it, was, it was angled, so you would drop down, and you would carve that face wall, and you'd do a couple big pictures, and you'd carve. So in a sense, we'd do loops all the way around this thing, but it was slightly at an angle, so it was never the complete upside-down loop. But, That's sick. Uh, that, was, that was in Marina Del Rey Skate Park in the kind of late 70s, early 80s. Uh, just various photos, decor, trophies that were in boxes for years. I broke out and you know, hung up a few you know, random trophies and... Uh, you know, I just I have tons of memorabilia. When I had Acme skateboards going, my wood shop was about twelve thousand square feet, and my fa and my offices are about fourteen thousand square feet. So when that sort of all collapsed, I got a lot of stuff. I got fifteen hundred boards. I mean, I got stuff pallets full of stuff. My own boards I've ridden, boards I've made for people, lots of artwork. Uh, you know, lots of stuff just passes through my hands. You know, different boards I've made. You know, there's my old GNS Pro models from, like, 1983. Whoa, so sick. Heavy. Uh, that's a demo with, like, Mike Smith, Tony Hawk, you know, Billy Ruff, bunch of GNS guys at a San Diego frat house. Look at those people. Dude, how you know, many people How many people would you say? Roof and the second story roof. And look at no ramps with no protection for their ankles. And they stood there. And that was probably one of the best crowds I ever skated for because they were drunk college guys. <laughs> they didn't, they didn't, they weren't skateboarders. <laughs> so they weren't sitting there going like, McTwist, McTwist, like a skateboard crowd did. They were just like, dude, that was gnarly. I mean, if you did a grind, that was gnarly. You did an air, that was gnarly. It was actually a really fun demo. Uh, and one of my other former pro skateboarder friends, Billy Ruff, uh, Murray came to my office here a year ago and he goes, I met my wife at that demo. So <laughs> <laughs> that has extra meaning now when I see it. So, uh, yeah. Klaus Grabke, good friend of mine, was European champion back in the 80s, uh, produces music now, his son's band, uh, you know, he comes to visit me all the time, so he gave me one of his boards, uh, Formula One Wheels, a brand I did in the 90s, uh, 
sold hundreds of thousands of wheels, sponsored all sorts of guys from Willie Santos, Simon Woodstock, Omar Hassan, Remy Stratton, just like, you know, tons of guys. At the back cover of Transworld for almost six years of Formula One. So, Whoa. Uh, you know, Chris Markovich, I told him I wanted this personalized piece of art. He said, Jim, this is now customized for you. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, you know, just stuff, man. I got stuff. I got so much stuff. I got skateboards everywhere. Seems like they never stopped coming in. This was actually my PowerFlex team jersey when I was like 16 years old in like 1978. Nice. Uh, so, and you know, just very the Acme logo. Someone made for a shop to hang up somewhere. You know, and another brand I wrote for the 80s, Gotcha Clothing, which basically would be equivalent to Hurley or Volcom today. Whoa. Uh, that's probably how I saw most of this country. I did demos for Gotcha and I would go to shopping malls in, you know, whatever, Kentucky one weekend, Chicago the next weekend, Minneapolis the next weekend. And, I've met a lot of people and had lots of rad stories from that. So, Hell yeah. so that's the, this is the little office, which is what's left over from all I've got. But I've got all sorts of stuff. You know, this is my warehouse. Uh, Whoa, crazy! It's sort of Jim's man cave where I have uh, surfboards. You know, more skateboards hung up. Um, you know, bicycles. Um, you know, it's just just stuff. This is my stuff: kayaks, uh, <laughs> stickers, mostly next door. Uh, but this is actually part of my sticker company, you know, um, and this is just where I, where I store stuff, so well, get store is where we have to work. Well, I think, get comfortable again so I can, uh, we're going to start at the top, though. No problem. This is one that'll make you smile, though, really quick. This, right. this is Jim's skate quiver, just wow. all ready to ride boards of different, like, eight-wheelers, long boards, fat boards, skinny boards. Street boards, fiberglass boards, you know, pigs. Uh, I, I like skateboards, and I keep lots of them around. Ham boards, there's your typical little five-foot skateboard. So, Dude, all types. You got everything there. Skateboards everywhere. <laughs> so. That's so sick. All right, well, let's start at the top. Um, no problem. Let me get back in and sit down here. And... Yeah, no worries. I'm going to start off with just asking you how you found skateboarding. Like, what first turned you on to the simple act of skateboarding? Simple act of skateboarding was turned on to me by my brother, John. Hell yeah, uh, John. He's about a year and a half older than me. He was such a diehard skateboarder. He was, like, watching Stacy Peralta movies and stuff and, like, mimicking Stacy Peralta's voice. And, I mean, you name it, these guys live for it. Um, we lived in a town called Westminster, and on a Saturday morning, him and his friend, Rob, would ride their mopeds to Mount Baldy Pipeline to skate it. And it was about, on a moped, it was about a two and a half hour drive. <laughs> like Dumb so and Dumber? Give it five in the morning. You know? <laughs> so, I tooled around on my skateboard in the driveway and, you know, started, you know, liking it a little bit. And, and finally my brother started, like, dragging me out. We're going to go check out a skate park. We're going to, there's this famous pool called the Fruit Bowl. He took me there, um, and it happened to be the day after it was torn out. So he brought me this pool, and I saw it all collapsed in the in the ground, and all the. And to this day, I still see pictures of it, and going, "Fuck, I missed that by like a day." Damn. You know, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, then I started writing uh, backyard half pipes. I mean, there was half pipes popping up everywhere, and they literally were half pipes, no flat bottom. They were just a U-shaped thing. We, you know, fifty, sixty kids get together after school, just kick turn back and forth, and learn to do a one wheeler and a tail tap, and. You know, uh, a lot of sidewalk quarter pipes popped up. We rode ditches, banks on the side of a gas station. Just, uh, it was basically the surf skating era. You know, we carved, we flowed, we, you know, watched what we saw in magazines and mimicked it and learned. And then that skate park started popping up. And I literally lived in the heartbeat of skateboarding. I mean, we had, of the, of the legendary skate parks 
in this world, the pipeline, Big O, Skate Park, Skatetopia, you know, Marina Del Rey, these were all within an hour of my house. Gnarly. So, so I grew up in that era where I just, my local skate park, Big O, I started skating there and I got sponsored and, you know, we started going to contests. So, but yeah, it was ultimately my brother who dragged me in. That's right. Um, all right. How old are you now? I'm 54. Nice. It sounds like you've been busy for 54 years. You've been doing cool shit. I kind of have. <laughs> I, I really, I truly am one of the few people I know that uh, really has never stopped skating since then. There's a lot of guys that came back when skateboarding came back, and they literally just were gone for 10 years. They didn't skate. I mean, I because I got in the skateboard business, I always stayed connected to skateboarding, you know. Um, and of the few guys my age, can say guys like Steve Alba or like that, never stopped skating, but he never really worked in the business either. Yeah. Skate, I mean, so I'm probably one of the only people actually in the skateboard business who's never stopped skateboarding. Yeah. Um, it didn't matter whether it was vert ramps or mini ramps or just anything that existed. We always found something and kept skateboarding. So uh, I've kind of adapted. I don't really ride as old school as a lot of guys my age because I when there, all there was was mini ramps. I rode mini ramps for years and it sort of changed my style. Yeah, you and have, guys, you have like... Years, they go back and forth like they did when we were kids, and I don't even know how to do that anymore. So. <laughs> you have, <laughs> I, that, you have one hell of a 5 to fakie, though, let me say. That was fucking gnarly. Dude, that's one of my favorite things on earth. I used to love doing that on vert ramps, you know, like when you freaking grind like that, and when you lean that back tail down, it's such a drop, it's freaking your stomach falls out from under you, and your balls suck up <laughs> in your gut. <laughs> you should... <laughs> going down. I was like YouTubing after I was watching some of your like contest stuff and that big concrete stuff and the whole time I was like, dude, I'm so scared of just dropping in on this shit and you're like blasting out. It was insane. <laughs> and you know funny? I'm scared as fuck to go and try to like um, nose slide a, a 12 inch high curb. I think that'll kill <laughs> twice as fast as ever dropping into a pool at Mach 90. So because that's what we're up in. So, so it's just we adapt we used to. So when you were when you were coming up skating, you're surrounded by skateboarding stuff, and all these parks popped up. And uh, how does sponsorship come into it? Was it from the skate parks? Uh, no, I actually got sponsored by a company. I mean, it's it's sometimes really weird when I consider that I personally made like two million skateboards, nice. but I never bought a skateboard. Wow. My, I I I bought it as I'm older. I traded for stuff like that, but as a kid. I mean, I bought, I bought two skateboards. I bought one of those plastic ones with ball bearing wheels and urethane wheels, and I bought a clay wood one with clay wheels. Those full early generation skateboards that all we did was go up and down the sidewalk a little bit. But when I started skateboarding, I went to a demo at a skate shop, uh, and I won a board in the raffle. I got a deck. Nice. Um, and back then, band's shoes used to make wheels. They made red and blue wheels. You could go to the band's store, and for 10 bucks, you bought a set of wheels. So I went and bought a set of band's wheels at the band's store and got some trucks, and that was my first like real kind of wider pro board that I started riding around and going places with my brother. Um, and literally I only skated for a few months and some kids saw me at the skate park and said, dude, I want, we want you to be on our team. What? And I, uh, I got on this team called Pro-Am and, uh, you know, next thing you know, they give me boxes of skateboards. And, um, and so I was probably 14. So I literally have never had to go into a shop and pay for and buy skateboards. Wow. Um, that's crazy. Which I mean, trip when I go into shops, but I don't really, I, I've, you know, I, it's weird, I bought a couple of skateboards in the last, like, few years, like, you know, I was like, dude, I love that board, I want that, but as a kid, I never had to uh, choose between one brand or another, and, you know, um, and so, so I see all those people collecting, and I go, how'd you decide which was what, and, you know, I remember all you guys have these memories of going in, deciding which one to buy, and, 
and I got really lucky, and I never really had to. So at 14, I'm 54. That's 40 years ago I got sponsored. It's <laughs> a long time. Hell of a run. Hell of a run. <laughs> um, what were your parents thinking? Like, when you get sponsored and they're sending you free stuff, were they just down? Well, well first thing, it's like, wait a second. These people are giving you the stuff for free? Why? You know what I mean? A little bit suspect. Like, you're not ripping this shit off or anything, are you? I don't know. You know UPS guy comes to a door with a package, and they're like, wow, that's pretty cool. Um, but at the same point, you know, it was like, you know, I don't know, surfers, skateboarders, they're all like those dirty druggies, whatever, you know, like, you know, I don't know if I want you doing that, you know, and, uh, yeah, the SS, the dude is tokens. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, whatever, so my dad was, my dad was, my dad was from Ireland, see, both my parents are immigrants, my mom came here in her 20s from Sweden, my dad came here, I think, around 30, she's from Ireland, nice. so neither parents were born in the U.S., um, and, uh, so it was a little different world. My dad would take me as a kid to play cricket at the park. You know what I mean? It was like uh, <laughs> uh, hurling, which was sort of a variation of cricket. Um, the, you know, I did I did little league baseball and all those things. Actually, I made I was the first kid to make the baseball team as a freshman in high school. And then about halfway through the season, I was not playing much because of some of the politics you learn happened with like booster clubs and all. I'm like, this is fucking lame. First yeah. kid to make a team. The, the kid, the other freshman kid's brother's on the varsity team, so he's playing, and he can't even throw the ball. But and I and, and I got sponsored, and I said, "Fuck this," and I quit. So yeah. I didn't even finish my first year of high school sports. It just wasn't worth it. You know, I found skateboarding, and skateboarding was man, a different place in the afternoon, and meeting new people, and traveling around, and that was to me so much cooler than high school sports. So yeah, for sure, it's very the cool thing about skating is it's like seems pretty open for everyone to do it. It's not like. You don't have to make the team. <laughs> you can still be yeah, part no, of skating. <laughs> I, I, I say this all the time. If someone sucks and they and they show up at like a skate park and they do a little better than their normal sucking, everybody's like, yeah! Everybody claps their tails, everyone claps for them because them, them sucking in the first place doesn't take anything away from you. Right. Yeah. Because you do it at your pace, they do it at their pace. So you see, and you know they're going through the same struggle. I mean... Let's face it, guys like us that have gotten sponsored like that, for whatever reason, it comes a little naturally easier to us than some other guys. It just does. Okay, I don't, I don't ever want to make someone feel bad when I'm skating. You know what I mean? It's like, and, uh, and but they have to also realize that when I grew up and had to drop in a contest like right after Tony Hawk or Christina Soy, dude, I felt like I couldn't ride a fucking skateboard. I felt like a piece of shit. You know what I mean? Like. You know, so no matter what level you're in, I can skate with some guy and be like, dude, you're so gnarly, blah, blah, blah. I go, yeah, but dude, remember, that's how I feel when I skate with Caballero and Pessoy and all those guys. So I don't know how they feel, okay? That's a different thing. <laughs> when you get to that level, yeah, there's not too many people who make Tony Hawk feel bad. You know I mean? you know, there's, that's just, there's a few freaks of nature on this planet. Just Jesus. Know, Jesus only. <laughs> but in general, I see, I get that, that a lot of talent, like I see a pair of parents out there training their kid, like, do a trick, push harder. It's like, you know what, dude? You could train your kid all day long, and some other kid who hasn't even stood on a skateboard yet might start skating six months from now, and he's going to make your kid look like shit in about a month. Because yeah. he just has that natural feeling, that flow, he gets it, floats on a skateboard. So, yeah, I like that skateboarding is a sport that you don't have to be good at, and that everybody supports you. When you do something that they tell, they can tell made you feel good, they sit there and they all get behind you go, yeah, way to go, bro, smack, plug, tip, pats on the back, whatever it is, high fives, you know, beer cans thrown at you, depends on where you're skating, you know, but yeah. it's, uh, it's an incredibly supportive thing, which is really cool. Yeah, I think it's rad because everyone that loves skateboarding has been humbled by skateboarding, so we can all, like, empathize <laughs> and be like, yeah, skating's the sickest because we know how hard you know, it the, is. The biggest print I have of me skateboarding is a bail. Nice. Yeah, like a 
four-foot canvas and hung it in my hallway at home. It's me with my feet up over my head at Mount Baldy because I lost my balance. And my eyeballs are looking for the bottom, and I'm about to drop to my death. You oh, know? man. And the thing is, the respect, you get it. Every time you go out there and you risk yourself, dude, you could, you could be laying on the flat bottom, knocked out cold, or just... You know, or scuffed up or bruised up, and, and the fun you get out of it just whatever seems to draw us back. I haven't found anything else that beats me up better that I like better. But <laughs> yeah, same, know, same. Uh, I love I love starting on flat ground because when you start on flat ground, it's kind of like this. That's the truth. You start there, you warm up. That's what I keep doing as I'm getting older. I'm like, I gotta play skate or just start carving. Nature, but you don't catch me going straight in and pushing, you know, into a bowl or dropping into a bowl. If there's any flat anywhere I go. I'm freaking doing shove-its and, and spinning 360s and doing anything just to get my blood flowing and get my balance dialed and get my muscles lo- loose up. I actually hate showing up and having to just tail drop straight into something yeah. and warm up from that. It's a horrible feeling, you know? Yeah, I do skateboard lessons, and I have, like, little kids that want to learn, and I'm always like, we're starting from the bottom up, like at the mini ramp. you got to learn to pump up the ramp first because that's the safest way. <laughs> Good reminder. Especially when you get older. How old are you now? 34. 34, yeah. So, I mean, I gotta wait, wait 20 more years and see what it feels like when you wake up in the morning. <laughs> I'm proud of 34 so far. I hope that when I get to 54, I'll be fucking proud too. I'm hoping. <laughs> from what I've watched and, uh, and experienced is stretch, 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 and stretch more. You yeah. know, because I'm not as flexible as I could be, but stretching is the only thing that keeps me from being even worse or... Not being able to do it. I watch guys my age that do drop in. Sometimes they're really stiff, yeah. and I can see they're they're not limber. And you know, limber is safe when you when you are flapped over in some pool, and you really need to get the hell off your skateboard, or you're going to get hurt. Your body better have some cat-like reflexes to jump out of it, or you're going to get hurt all the time. Yeah, I mean, believe it or not, and I'm not one of those superstitious guys. I've never broken a bone, you know. Um, and, and I will one day. It's just someday it's going to happen. It's probably going to be on when I'm walking. I'll trip on a curb and break my leg or something. <laughs> I've uh, broken a bone skateboarding. And probably because I think I, I just say I skate like a pussy. I mean, I never skate more than like 40% of my ability. That way it keeps me safe. I feel like I'm kind of under control. And I usually spring out. When I start getting gnarly and do super fast, high speed, hang up stuff. Oh, dude, you're going to clip a wheel and you're going down. And yeah. you know, when you're 54, you know, the fun you get out of it. It's not worth the pain. So you just, you give up on that and say, I can live with it. I'll find a different method of fun. Yeah. I'll just do a lot of carbs, a lot of grinds, just go fast and smile. Because, <laughs> I mean, I want to do tricks. I mean, you saw me skate that mini ramp. I did basic shit. Yeah, you because. Know, I want a lot more stuff, you know? Yeah, well, that's like you're showing your maturity with it. It's because, like, when you're young, you're kind of reckless because you want to go, like, to the maximum of your abilities just you to see. Everybody, you can do stuff. I'm like, dude, I, I proved myself a long ass time ago. If, if someone. Someone's still waiting for me to prove something. They better stop because that's not what I'm there for. Do, do you see? Do you see Jaws? That guy Jaws that had like all the off roof part. Uh, you know what? I've seen a lot of random Jaws stuff, and I know you know who he is, and it's just like and he does some really crazy shit. And yeah. Most of the time when I watch it, I'm like, dude, he's not gonna walk when he's my age. I'm confused. Yeah. I'm confused by the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I, when he, there, there are certain people I truly watch Tony Hawk skate a ramp, and when he lands. He literally can squat and his butt almost freaking drags on the ramp. Nice. He's so flexible, so, you know, I mean, I would call it the hawk squat. Like, how do you do that? Jaws obviously has those dipping, stretchy knees, too. Um, don't know whether it's actually built into how he's, you know, flexible or double-jointed or whatever. Um, 
But, uh, yeah, there's something crazy there because, you know, I don't know how your body can handle that. Yeah, he looks like, no. he looks like that, like, rubber frog that you fl- throw against, like, a glass window and it, like, starts to come down. Like, it's crazy. It's insane. Yeah, that's where my generation, you know, I, I got really confused by the whole way the street culture started pushing straight skateboarding. You know, I mean, I watched it, you know, we skated everything as kids. We rode ditches, we rode quarter pipes, we rode half pipes, we rode full pipes, we rode pools. You know, we just considered ourselves skateboarders. You know, basically, in that early 90s era, you know, it was sort of a business decision. Guys started pushing, like, oh, street's the only thing that's cool. And it was really to separate themselves from the old school companies. Um, and the public didn't really kind of get that they were just pawns in this game where they were sold, like, oh, this is what's cool, this is what's cool. Well, the thing is, it got so deep that now kids think it's not even, it doesn't even count skateboarding if you don't have it on video and if it's not big enough. And, you know, uh, sometimes that makes me really sad because the best feeling about riding a skateboard is just rolling on your skateboard. Yeah. You know, you lean to the side, motion and movement, and, you know, all the shit you can make your skateboard flip and spin or go down, that's just a personal challenge and all that, but that's not really the best feeling in skateboarding. Yeah. You know, the feeling is riding your skateboard. So when I watch guys spend like hours just launching down shit and bailing, it's really hard for a guy my age to even comprehend <laughs> because there's nothing I do in my life whether just jumping off rocks into the ocean or whatever. If every time I jumped off some cliff in the ocean, I hit a rock when I landed. Would I fucking keep crawling back up and jumping back in again until I get one without hitting the rock? I don't think so. I'd go, this is fucking lame, and I'd stop doing it. <laughs> so when I guys literally try a trick like 50 tries, and I'm, you know, it actually kind of, like I said, it makes me sad. Going, are they doing it for themselves? Or are they doing it to, to prove to somebody how gnarly they are? And, you know, yeah. and... Uh, and, I, and, I, and all I can ever think back is like, why didn't I start riding a skateboard? I started riding a skateboard to enjoy rolling on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the whole gladiator aspect of skateboarding got so gnarly, I, I just don't really get it. Well, it goes to extremes. like, Because um, I'm a, of the generation where I like to skate big handrails because I've seen like, legendary dudes like doing it. But even that, yeah. it's like you get your personal limit and then hopefully you don't have to keep doing that. But it seemed like for a long time, it's like, crazier and crazier and crazier like someone's always pushing the limits like Nigel would be the guy for this generation or whatever well yeah but the, the guys, uh, you can't people don't think they can stand out unless they want up it, unless they go to another yeah which is ridiculous know, I mean it's still happening too I mean shit I don't know if you saw some stuff in the air you see the kid jump the channel at the combi bowl oh, the nice. other day some, some kid jumped the Literally, the round bowl channel. He, he, he did a frontside air. He did like a five-foot-out ollie off the corner Whoa. and landed on the other side of the round bowl. The gap's like 20 feet wide, and he did a freaking <laughs> ollie to frontside air. And, you know, it's like, it's just gnarly. Now, they get, now the new game is they're going to come to this fucking contest they have there once a year, and they're going to go, okay, the Annie's been up. Who's, who can top that? You know, it's like, it's just gnarly. Danny Way already did. He jumped the Great Wall of China, fools. Chill the fuck out. <laughs> Didn't he jump out of a helicopter, too? He did about a helicopter. He's done some crazy shit, you know. Um, and I go back to my, at least my era. I, I grew up with a skate park era that went away, and all we had was vert ramps. I never liked skating vert ramps like I like skating pools. Yeah. I like pools because of the way they flow, the lines, you know. Ramps, they just gave you a place to do stuff on vert, and that's all there was. So I rode them. I competed in all those contests through the early 80s to the like, kind of late 80s. Um, but they were never really my favorite. But sometimes I would sit... And as I was getting a little older, so I didn't even judge a contest, I'd be arguing the Tony Hawk versus Christian Hasoy thing, and I'd be like, no, but Tony did the new technical trick, and he flipped his board. And I, and I, and all I have to say, and I go, 
Well, yeah, but Christian could have done that, but he was like, fuck that. I want to go 11 feet high and land going Mach 90 and do a 30-foot fucking board slide across the other side. And you know, and I would sit there with the judges and go, okay, let's just flip them. Could Christian have done Tony's run? And in, in most cases, yeah. Could Tony have done Christian's run? Fuck no. Because Christian had a different style and power. And, and to me, I was actually more stoked on Christian skate. That was real skating. Me floating, flying, fluidity. You know, I didn't care how many times the board spun, you yeah. know. Um, and I and I appreciated Tony's abilities. And I love Tony. He's a great guy. He's been a great ambassador for skateboarding. You know, he's, he's a hell of a damn skateboarder. He's actually, I think, probably a better skateboarder and has more style now than he was back then even, you know. Um, but still, back then, I would sit there and kind of marvel. Like, that was, the, that was the beginning of, no, it's all about how technical the trick is, you know. And to be honest, I'd much rather see even, you know, street skating. I'd rather see some guy do a big, beautiful, buttery board slide across something than to see techie kick flip, shove it out. Unless it looks really fluid, you know what I mean? But if some guy's struggling just to prove he can be technical, it's like, dude. Yeah. You know? Well, half it... Now, Half of it is the juice when you squeeze it, you know what I mean? So you gotta like, <laughs> you gotta feel it. You gotta like fucking ride your skateboard. Like some people are just trying to add up points and be super technical and one up the next, and it's very rigid, you know. Some people like that. I don't know. I'm this. I'm. Well, a- I, know. I think a lot of it comes from your mind. It comes from like, what do you, what, what does it feel like to you when you do it? What do you think it's accomplishing for you? How you think you're being looked at by people? All those things, and you see someone develop that style to where they become like the machine. Like what the fuck? You know, yeah. like you know, spin, flip, spin, flip, 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 spin, twist. You're like Jesus, dude, calm down. Like ride your skateboard again. You know? Yeah, it's probably the diff. It's probably the difference between the kid who like draws the fucking technical lines, the straight lines, and the kid who has a crayon. I'd be the kid yeah. with a crayon. You know what I mean? Like. Well, one thing I can say as a parent, you know, because obviously that's when you start learning more about and looking back and realizing growing up. And, uh, like, I have my kids are 24, 23, and 19. Damn, yeah, three kids. If I know, I'm old, dude. Good stuff. You know, and if I, like, my two boys, when they're three and five, they are fucking identical today as they were when they were three and five. Their personality, the way they talk, the shyness, the lack of shyness, whatever like that. You know, so, so much of who you are is, is born into you. You know, you learn, you adapt. Yeah, you're influenced by who you meet on the street or don't, and so on and so forth. But ultimately, you come out, and you're either a shy guy, you're a you're a brainiac, you're you're coordinated or you're uncoordinated. You know, it's like a lot of those things. I don't think you really can change a lot. Yeah. You know, and that's why it goes back to that like skate dad trying to train his kid. Dude, you can't change him. If the kid's a natural, you don't have to tell him what to do. He's gonna feel it and just start ripping. And yeah. You're gonna go, Oh, I didn't know my kid had that in him, you know. Um, but you can't train him. You can you can make his life miserable by going do a longer grind, you know. Like him, I'm someone sitting there going, "What the fuck, dude? Go home, please," you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Three kids, man. That's so fucking cool. That's cool that you're a uh, you're a father. Good for you, man. <laughs> but no, there is actually nothing cooler. I mean, I can't say there's anything in my life I've done that's cooler. I've done a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah. Um, but to look at someone who looks like you and is part of you, and you know, it's like, damn, you know, it's like, you know, being a, being a dad's a pretty rad thing. Yeah, they'll carry you on. That's like they're gonna carry on your good and your bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, they learn from you one way or another. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to ask you about business. Like, how'd you get interested in business? Did you go to school for it? Um. Kind of yes, yes and no. I mean, I always was sort of interested in business. I always um, um, looked around me and I saw people that like had stuff, people that didn't, people that did a 
a hard job people that did something that looked kind of easy. And I kind of always looked at it like, I, I don't know, somehow when I was young, I remember telling my friends in high school, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this or I'm going to make this much money. And they'd be like, you know, what makes you think you could do that? And I'm going, well, what, what makes you think I can't? You know what I mean? Um, because I guess I looked at, I looked at what I saw around me as anything's possible if you go for it. You know what I mean? I was a middle-class kid, completely middle of the road. Dad worked at McDonald Douglas accounting guy. We, we were middle-class tract home kids. We weren't like wealthy. We weren't poor, you know, but I could see the difference across this street, the kid whose dad was a plumber or a contractor. And then my dad was a white collar guy. I could see the difference in how they interacted and so on and so forth. And I kind of got that. And I think I said, it's a choice for me to decide who I want to be, you know? Um, and I tended to want want more so i headed that way early but then i and so i got my real estate license when i was 18 um i started working for a mortgage banking company when i was going to college i was the head of underwriting for a mortgage company by the time i was like 21 mm. uh, and i was still skating i'd literally come off work with a suit and tie on somebody that show up to ramps some dudes would be like dude look at the kook you know and i pull my tie off change the thing and start skating around at five minutes later go dude bro what's up you sponsored you know like it was just kind of funny you know um but uh but so, yeah, my early interest was kind of real estate and stuff like that. But then I would go into real estate offices and say, most of these people are fucking goons. I couldn't do this all day long. How could I sit there with freaking Sally Polyester and freaking dirt dumbass? And, you know, and they, yeah, they drive nice cars and they do stuff. But, I mean, real estate was a no-brainer. I mean, it's like there's about five basic rules. It's pretty simple, you know. And I had underwritten all the loans, so I understood about qualifying for loans and all that shit. And. I don't know. So what happened is I actually ruptured my spleen when I was skateboarding, when I was 21. Gnarly. I hung up at Ben Schroeder's, his backyard. I did a frontside grind. I fell to the flat bottom, ruptured my spleen. And I was the head of underwriting at a mortgage company. And I was 21. And I had to, um, I had to take like six to eight weeks off work, you know, because I was cut open. And, and while I was there, I was thinking like, God, you know, it'd be cool to do something in the skateboard business. But what happens, most pro skaters or a skater went to the companies they knew or rode for, and they'd say, okay, kid, we'll give you a job in the warehouse, you know? And I'm like, dude, I'm like 21. I already earned like $40,000 a year and blah, blah, blah. So I went to Larry Balma, who owned Tracker Trucks and Transro Skateboard Magazine. You know, I'd like to do some stuff with you. I've ridden for you for a while, but I'm not going to work in your fucking warehouse, you know? Um, and I didn't know how what to expect, but he had said, well, let's start a company. So we, we formed this company called Brainstorm Designs, and it was nice. corporate. He had stock, and I had stock, and um, I sold all the ads for Transworld. I started uh, their wheel program in the 80s. It was called, uh, it was, first it was Tracker Wheels, and then it was called A1 Meets, and it went on. They sold hundreds of thousands of wheels, and um, I did that for about three or four years. We were partners. I learned about corporate stuff. He actually, we would meet with his attorney every month. We'd have a board meeting. We'd be official and keep, you know, board notes and all that. And I was absorbing and learning. Um, I mean, when Transworld decided to start a snowboard magazine, I was a 23-year-old kid, hopped on a plane and flew to Vegas by myself uh, and uh, told to tell the Jake Burtons and Tom Sims, all the big snowboard guys, hey, we're starting a snowboard magazine. I had to talk my way into the show. I didn't even have a badge. <laughs> yes. you know, so it came naturally. You know, I think if you can carry yourself as trustworthy and so on and so forth, you can convince people you're a good dude. And, you know, I was able to talk my way in there and get that stuff started. Um, so, then, you know, I did that for a few years. And then as I had, I had kind of watched, you know, I, I had known the guys who Brad who owned Vision and Larry who owned Tracker and Fausto who owned Tr Thrasher and all that stuff. And I'm like, these fucking guys don't have anything on me and I'm a fucking skateboarder. Maybe these guys rode a skateboard once, but they haven't ridden a skateboard forever. I want to do something in skateboarding that's my deal, you know, um, and uh, uh, I uh, 
at the time. And lots of other things had gone on. I, mean, I wrote for Blockhead. I got a Blockhead license through Tracker. I did. I mean, I was always doing deals. You know, it's like you're working deals. I've always been a deal guy. People come and they have something. I I introduce them to someone who can help them. You know, I mean, I like helping people. When people ask about business, like, okay, this person might be a good fit for you. That person might be a good fit for you. Um, and so I've always been sort of at that. So I, I, you know, I did deals here and there, but I decided it was time to do my own thing. Um, and I came up with the idea at the time, and the, it was kind of the end of 1990, going into early 1991, and I go, skateboarding's just gotten so fucked up because we had gone from like 50 pro models to 200 pro models in like a few years. And basically what happened during that time is when all these young companies, the world industries, the H Streets, you know, Plan B, so sort of where this, this whole group, new group's coming up, um, basically they, they built their companies and fed off stealing from everybody else because they were new and young and they didn't know what to do. So guys like Powell, you know, they had the Caballeros and all these guys with their top pros, but they always had 10 guys they were farming. And of those 10 guys, three of them were possibly going to make pro, maybe four, maybe two, depends on how they came. That was same help for Santa Cruz, GNS, whatever other brands were out there. Well, suddenly, you know, you're having, and everything was competition-based back then. You know, you, you had to compete really to get credibility and legitimacy as a pro. So all of a sudden you'd be going to a contest, the NSA finals, and it'd be like, you know, you know, Danny Way uh, was now, now in the finals riding for H Street. And they would like, still... So you're saying that you know it's like it's like so deals are being done behind the ramp and you know and I was watching the team managers like you don't want to kill that motherfucker you know it's like and started out incredibly petty I mean it would be like how many ports a month does Paul give you two we'll give you four you know you can sell two for fifty bucks each that's a hundred bucks a month you make you know I literally I mean to to a fifteen year old kid that's like fucking gold you know it's like you know coke money candy money you know. You know, and uh, and so that, and then it's like, oh, now we rented a house, a team house. You know, you can go smoke weed, fuck your girlfriend, do whatever all the stuff that you can't get away with at home. You know, so the the whole was fairly, it was kind of fairly respectable the way the the skateboard companies raised their pros and tried to look after, them, tried to grow them, and then it became like we're not going to get in the legitimate way, so let's just break the door down and let's give the kids pussy and drugs and you know and money and uh, and so the skaters sort of started getting strength in skateboarding, it, it's ironic that they did end up taking over, and then they sold their souls all to the devil, and uh, sold any cash they could make off anything, stickers, tech decks, you know, it's like, they, they did all the things that the old guys wouldn't do. The old guy's like, no, no, we're not going to let stickers be sold at every drugstore because all the mom and pop shops need those dollar and two dollars to help keep their stores open. And that adds up to something at the end of the year. The new guys are like, what? You'll give me $50,000 for, for making stickers? Sell them wherever the fuck you want. And, you know, and thus the skaters themselves who took over skateboarding are the ones who killed the mom and pop skate shop, opened up the door for Zoomies to put millions of shops out of business and so on and so forth. I mean, it wasn't the, the old guard corporate guys as they were looked at it was actually the skaters themselves that took over who who came in and gave skateboarding away i mean um and it really you know now it's who knows if it could ever make its way back to being a core thing because it's been so sold down the river so deeply i would like Um, to see i'd like to see a list of the amount of um like mom and pop skate shops that still exist because uh i know brick and mortar brick and mortar in general tiny yeah, brick and mortar in general is like kind of in trouble. It seems like with the internet and selling online and sales and all that, crazy. No, it, I I honestly don't know if the statistics exactly exist, but yes, it's brutal. Um, yeah. And honestly, every time skateboarding has gone through a dip, 
Um, for those first, I mean, we're 40 years into it. I've been doing it. There's been a, a dip of sorts every 10 years or so. And what's always helped skateboarding stay alive during those dips when the skateboard companies are standing around barely in business is the ma and pa shop was holding contests in their parking lot. The ma and pa shop was helping kids keep skateboarding, building anything for them to ride. So on, so on. the stuff that the corporate guys don't do, the corporate guys don't build you a, a skate park to ride. I mean, some of the big guys do now, I mean, for the sake of putting their name on it, you know, but uh, um, but not from the core of, like, I just want skateboarding to keep alive because I love skateboarding. That uh, that That's a tough thing now, you know, I mean, but that, that's how they got through almost every generation is that's who they relied on. Yeah. You know, the mom and pops got them back through. That's why the big brands were hesitant to sell to the sporting goods chains because they knew what the sporting goods chains do is one oh, we hear skateboarding isn't so trendy. They discount all their shit and blow it out. Well, if half the skateboards sold in a particular year that say they should sell for 100 bucks, I'll get blown out at $39. So Big Five Sporting Goods or Sports Authority or someone wants to blow them out because they're making room for the new scooters that are coming in or volleyball or anything else. Because that's all the way they are. They're just like, we're a sports shop. Anything that's hot in sports, we're on it. You know what I mean? You want archery, we'll, we'll, we'll throw skateboards off the shelf. Well, the Ma and Pa guy started because he loved skateboarding. You know, I mean, was usually a skateboarder or had a, you know, the family started it because their son was a skateboarder or whatever. But they were always involved in skateboarding. They had a stake in skateboarding. So they stayed behind skateboarding. They stuck to skateboarding. The, the sporting goods changes bails on skateboarding in a heartbeat, you know. Um, and so uh, that's why the big guys in the first couple rounds of Rises and Falls always stayed away from the big chains. You know, even when I did Acme in the 90s, I sold a big order once to one of the sporting goods stores who was hounding me and hounding me. Not of my brands. I made them another brand name. I called it Parts Department. I go, you can't have Acme or Formula One or any of these brands that are that are legitimate brands and things, but you want some skateboards in your store. I'll, I made some. I made up a random board, and I made like 5,000 complete boards, but I wouldn't give them my brand name that would undermine that little core mom-and-pop shops, what they live off of. Yeah. And it's, it's a hard it's a hard thing to straddle, and right now it's hard. Like, if you're a skateboard company and Zoomy says, I want your product, you know, I have a 1,000 stores. Will you sell me 5,000 wheels? It's hard to say no to because you might not get your product out there. Otherwise, that's 5,000 sets of wheels you're not going to sell or 5,000 boards. But the, the hard thing is the transition that took place that really took away the power from skateboarders and skateboarders that own skateboard companies and the real passionate skateboarders. Um, the power was given away by the skateboarders themselves, that, that – Truly is one of the hardest things at being around this that long is having watched basically my peers sell their sell their souls up the river to make an extra hundred grand, you know. And, and, and me, who was always looked at as a business guy, literally, they looked at me in the early days. Oh, Jim, he's like the clean cut business guy, blah, blah, blah. I mean, some of those guys would come to me for advice about their accounting software or, you know, whatever else. And I'd always be glad to help because some of that stuff came to me easier. But ultimately, in the end, it's like, dude, I'm still skateboarding. I lost my ass. I lost a million dollars. I had a hundred employees. I watched my company crash. And did I cry and leave and stop skateboarding? No, because I love skateboarding. Yeah. You know, it's just like my was involved in skateboarding. Killed me. You know, I killed me financially. Lost all my assets. I mean, you know, that was brutal. Brutal times. You know what I mean? Um, but uh, but it didn't change my love for skateboarding. And, I, and I, I, if I went in hindsight, I wouldn't have sold my soul for another hundred grand or another hundred grand here or there because I would have never felt good. I wouldn't have been proud of what I did. I wouldn't have been like, I'm so stoked in my company. What'd you do? I whored out and sold the most shit to the most, you know, <laughs> the most people. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of hypocrisy in the skateboard business, you know. I feel uh, like, I feel like if yeah. you, 
I feel like people that love skateboarding should invest in skateboarding. And, like, the people that love it should own it in some sense, you know, a little bit. Because they're going to be the ones that safeguard it. So, like, if you skate and you contribute to skate culture in any way, that's, like, your way of creating in skating, you know, and helping the culture move forward. I love, like... I do my part, and I'm proud of what I have done to some things that people know or people don't know. I mean, I help you know, spearhead an effort to get this book done called the Public Skate Park Development Guide, you know, through IASC. It was a collaboration between the industry, IASC, and Tony Hawk Foundation and Skaters for Public Skate Parks because I was the only guy in the industry who actually knew the Skaters for Public Skate Parks guys because they were all hardcore advocates doing it for nothing. And obviously I knew Tony Hawk and the Tony Hawk Foundation because I grew up with Tony and skated with him and all that. And the industry guys were oblivious to the fact that what any of those guys were doing, you know, but instead of having these guys all do their own thing, I kind of got them all together. So why don't we do this together? The skaters for public skate parks will draw, will write this thing up. Tony Hawk foundation actually funded the printing of it. Yeah. And I asked distributed it. And you got like 10,000 copies out there to the world that help teach people how to fight your city, how to get a skate park built, how a city council works, things like that. You know, that's how you give back. How much did I make off that? Nothing. Because that's not what it was about. It was about, I'm a skateboarder. I love skate parks. You know, I fought to get my skate park built in my own city. And all I do, every time I drive by there, I look over and I go, I could die tomorrow. And I did one thing that made the world a better place for hundreds of kids. Yeah. You know, and, I, and they're out there every morning from the second they open it up. And every night they have to ask them to leave to lock the gates. That makes me feel as a skateboarder, I contributed. You know, it doesn't matter what I what I sold or how many pro models I had or that's all awesome stuff. And it is really cool. I love whatever I achieved and accomplished the products I made and I'm super proud of them. But ultimately the raddest thing is knowing that you helped skateboarding rather than rape skateboarding. Yeah. You know, and I will always have that attitude just built in me. I don't want to rape skateboarding. I'm the <laughs> one if people start talking about Olympics or like that, I'll be the one in the voice of reason going, Hey First thing, let's talk about this. You know, you, you probably can't stop it, but instead of going like, fuck them, let's go anti, or, you know, or jumping in all the way and go rah, rah, let's just go straight. I go, let's try to find out the best way to control it so it doesn't get, doesn't get lame, it doesn't get done badly, and so on and so forth. But unfortunately, what usually happens in skateboarding, you just get two sides. The, let's sell it straight up to the big money, and let's just say, fuck it, look the other way. And that nobody in the middle, and I usually find myself in the middle going, whoa, hello, dumbass, you can't ignore it, hello, sell out, you fucking loser. You know, it's like, let's try to make it done good. And, you know, I've watched a lot of shit go bad because, you know, um, it's just, it's tough to be, to really care about skateboarding equally as much as you care about your fame or your money or what, you know, whatever else. I mean, ultimately, as a skateboarder, I'm a skateboarder. I like skateboarding. Skateboarding's fun. There's nothing rather than doing a frontside grind to me. It's just just the raddest feeling on earth, you know? Yeah. Um, and it doesn't matter how many skateboards I sell, I can't. It will never feel better to do a frontside grind if I sold a million dollars of stuff a month or if I sold a thousand dollars of stuff a month. It's never going to feel better. You know, that's up to me. So yeah. Uh, well, I think a lot of guys stop skateboarding and they just focus then on the accomplishments of money and fame and, you know, fortune and, you know. Yeah, I think, I, I think, um, for skateboarding, it's like whenever I see someone that I haven't seen in a long time and they've been skating and like I see them and they get on their board and they're like killing it, I'm like, I usually know they're doing pretty good. Yeah. I, I know they're doing pretty good in life because I'm like, you've been skating and skating's like humbling, you know, it's very humbling. If you skate a lot, you know what I mean? Um, you learn your balance and your limits and everything. So I don't know. That's like. That's why when I saw you at Surf Expo, I was like, sick, this dude shreds. He clearly has been putting his time into the art of skateboarding, like the actual act, the physical act of skating. Like, I'll see some friends. I've had friends that are like, 
they're they're like 29 and they're retired. I'm like, how are you fucking retired? What are you talking about? How do you even stop? The term is kind of funny. Sometimes I'm going to say, I'll go, well, yeah, I was an old pro skateboarder. I'm like, well, I guess I am just a pro skateboarder. I mean, what's the difference? I mean, I still technically am part of the scene and get invited to the Legends things or that. So, I mean, I guess that still means I'm a pro skateboarder. I mean, but honestly... I've never lived as a pro skateboarder. Um, I, I worked in things in skateboarding that made me a living, but I I earned a few thousand dollars here and there, you know, money for doing demos and stuff like that, but never in my whole life did I pay my rent because I went skateboarding. I always had a job where there was those mortgage business because I never really thought skateboarding owed me anything. That was gravy. That was icing on the cake, like holy shit, you're going to pay me $400 to show up in a parking lot, launch off quarter pipes, sign autographs for kids, and you know, and get to meet kids all over the country? I go, what a freaking glorious thing is that? I mean, literally, the 80s was amazing. Uh, I wrote for Gotcha. I'd go out with like Lester Kasai or Rob Roscoe. Some of these guys, we'd fly to Minneapolis. We'd, we'd do like two demos on a Saturday and two demos on a Sunday and get paid 400 bucks for each one and come back and get a check on Tuesday for like 1600 bucks. It was like, cha-ching. You know? nice. I knew that shit was last forever i was never gonna say that's my job i'm gonna not work i'm gonna do it i just worked and that was like okay that's the that's the fun money i get to save towards you know buying a house or buying a toolbox or buying something i need i wasn't gonna you know but a lot of people just thought like okay wow the money's flowing i don't have to work and then they lived off just skateboarding and then when it really wasn't they're not really in that tight enough to earn that living anymore they want it to keep coming and it can't just keep coming it, 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 there's only a certain reason people give you money to ride a skateboard, and that's because you're helping them sell something. You know, they just give you money because they think you're a good skateboarder. I mean, fuck, if they did, I wouldn't pay for a burger. I'd walk into Carl's Jr. and go, dude, I eat a hamburger as good as anyone. Bro. You know, it's like, well, no, but if you're famous and 100,000 people will go buy a hamburger because you eat one, then we'll pay you to eat a hamburger and take a picture of it and use it for something like that. I think that got lost in skateboarding somewhere, too, whereas a lot of kids literally thought, like, the best kid in every town should be sponsored, you know, and they didn't really understand what sponsored meant, you yeah. know. Um, yeah, they don't know that it has to be built up. From it. It's a job. You have to work for it. You have to provide value. I mean, and that's in anything you do, you know, whether it's skateboarding or, you know, if you're a pro tennis player, you know, you're the bigger bigger achiever, the bigger person who gets the most attention, wins the most stuff, or whatever it is, they, they are paid the biggest by sponsors because they attract more attention, you know, I mean, that's all, honestly, all pro skateboarders are, on any form, is advertising tools, you, you can't kid yourself anything else, you're just an advertising tool, you're helping someone advertise, either, either yourself, if you own it, even still how you skate helps you sell yourself, if it's another company writing you a contract and giving you a shoe or a board or that, it's because you're an advertising tool. You're helping them sell something. You know, um, it's not really on your talent. There's a lot of talent skateboarders no one wants to sponsor because they're assholes. You know, it's like, well, why, the, why, do, why would I want that guy affiliated with my brand? He probably, he cost me more sales than he'd ever make me because people hate him. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm not sponsoring that dude. You know, we all know those guys. We've all met a few of those. So. There's dudes out there that were like killing it and living off skateboarding and then that money went away and then they're just fighting for like a dishwasher job for sure. Like that happens. Like, especially when a recession hits, that's freaking gnarly. Like I've been that guy at times, you know, like it's crazy. I, I, I'm proud knowing that when I ran my company back me, I would have, you know, Brad Hayes or someone, one of my young pros, I would tell them, here's the deal. If you're lucky, you've got a three or four year window. 
before some new, younger, hotter kid comes up and kicks your ass. You are an advertising tool. You, how long that lasts is good for you. But please, don't ever drop out of school thinking you're going to live off skateboarding for the rest of your life. Don't, you know, do this. I mean, heck, I went to Omar Hassan's, you know, high school counselors when he rode for Blockhead before I even started acting. I tried to keep him in school, tried to find out how can he graduate school, this and that. He's a very lucky one. He's a fortunate one who was able to earn a living off skateboarding and take it for a while and get shoes in the vans and go on and be able to buy some real estate. And Legendary. That so so doesn't work for everybody, you know. But I was worried, like, dude, I don't, want, I don't want to be the guy who's telling you, like, my desire to send you on tour to sell products for me is more important than your need to grow up and become a real a good human being who can feed a family. And unfortunately, most people in skateboarding were like, fuck, I don't care. Tell the kid he's fucking the king of the world. Send him on tour. Put him in a van. Film and milk him. Oh, and when he fucking can't make us money anymore, kick him to the curb and get a new kid. Yeah. You know? And to me, it's like... My dream was seeing my team riders when they're 35 at the mall with their kids and going like, hey, Jim, what's up? High-fiving, happy smiles. It's it's not seeing them derelict trying to find a dishwasher job. And it's also not seeing them wheeling around in a wheelchair because I told them they had to go bigger and gnarlier. And, you know, I can never believe when I heard some of that shit. The guy's like, oh, you got to go bigger. You're off the team. I'm like, no, my thing with, with my guys, I mean, dude, I had the back cover of Transworld for years. I go, I wanted to add that looks good, it's colorful, it's entertaining, I'll try to say something good, you know, I'll try to, you know, write some good copy with it, you know, we'll show some of the products, that's really what we really are, um, your skateboarders, we're all thrill seekers, you are, I am, we all try stunts and crazy things like that, if you want to ollie off a roof to the parking lot, that's cool, do not ollie off a roof to the parking lot, because you think you have to impress me and go bigger and, you know, so on and so forth. Because I don't want you fucking dying and having that shit on my thing. I'm not, I mean, I, I never would stop a kid because I get the whole drive. I get, I'm 18, I'm gnarly, I want to freaking huck myself over this thing. That's cool. But I want I want them to want that. And then I'm at least okay with saying I sponsor you, I'll, I'll photograph it, I'll do it or that. But the last thing I ever could do is go, no, dude, you have to do this, dude, or I'll get another kid on the team who wants it more than you. Because all that would make me isn't a fucking abusive piece of shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Using people and considering their lives worth nothing and churning them up, spitting them out, waiting for the next kid. And sadly, most of my competitors, like guy, guys I grew up with, that was exactly their attitude. You know, chew them up and spit them out. I don't care. It seems you like know, it reflects. Bitch, you know. I mean, it seems like business reflects like the mood of the era. You know what I mean? Too like shit is strange. <laughs> I mean, watching all these shows, like these old shows about all the old presidents and business and all the stuff and. Just covering how people acted and reacted and the general moods of fucking generations is like crazy. I watched them last night and it was complete. It was rad. It was back in the 30s or 40s. It's about a, a, a king of a country in, in Africa, which is now Botswana, and he met a white woman in England while he was there getting educated. And there was all this controversy, not only because she was white, but because ultimately England was trying to steal the diamond and mineral rights from his country. You know what I mean? And it was awesome that the guy in the end overcame and retained the country's mineral rights for his people and so on and so forth. It was awesome. But it was brutal to think that that's how the world was really played. Yeah. You, know, you people, your lives, your your medicine, whatever will help provide you is all secondary to how much gold we can dig out of your ground or diamonds we can get off your land. And, you know, and we don't really give a shit to you. And, you know, and, and sadly... You know, God, I mean, I, I probably learned that as much as anything, that when it comes to money, 
um, people will fucking kick you in the head and step over your freaking dead body to get a nickel on the other side sometimes. Yeah. And it's uh, people that you thought you knew, that you thought you respected, you thought, thought you trusted, and you'll go, Jesus, are you serious? You know, and, and you learn a lot of that over the years. Um, and so you have to become, you know, prepared for it, you know, and realize it's part of life. Otherwise, it hurts even worse. Yeah, it's crazy to think in business it's cutthroat. <laughs> American, it's it's the general attitude of people. Like, it's how you handle your business. Everyone's a small business, right? Seems that way. Well, it's worse in America than it is in other countries. Because in other countries, I think the, the social structure is still to where the kid doesn't grow up thinking everything's going to be given to him. You know, our whole culture, our whole our whole lifestyle, pushing our rap music videos, everything, everything's about uh, attaining wealth, whether you earned it or not, fame, you know, getting shit, buying stuff, big cars, gold, whatever it is. Um, and we really raise kids thinking like, they think, dude, if I start my business, I'm going to be rich. No, no, if you start your business, you have a chance you could grow it into something. If you're smart, make good product, have some clue of marketing, know how to sell, you know, are aware of your competition, so on and so forth. But no, they think, no, dude, I'm fucking, I'm the shit. I, I watched all those videos and watched those guys march out. They're the shit. I'm going to be the shit just like them. Well, no, dude, for every one guy you see in some video who's the shit, there's a hundred thousand who failed trying to get near it. You know? it yeah, they were sold, they were sold the American dream. <laughs> somewhere unemployed and freaking drunk you know it's like uh yeah i mean it's uh america is a is a fucked up yet amazing place it's, i mean there there is no place like it truly in opportunity and there's also no place like it in falsehood and uh and, and just living a facade you know it's, it's a crazy it's a crazy contradiction on a daily basis yeah i feel like it should be or it, it's going to be the american experience so like people could just show their experience and then you'll really know maybe it's the world experience maybe not just america i don't know strange yeah. i mean let's face it the world it's a different world i mean i mean and again, my life is so much of my life is skateboarding, you know, but, and, but, it, but it all ties into how different the world is, you know, in the, in the eighties, if, you know, whatever, if, uh, Mike McGill quit riding for Powell, it might take six months before they knew about it in Germany. You know, if it happens today, boom, three seconds later, it's on Instagram and, uh, you know, whatever, it's just mind blowing. I mean, just like if someone dies, if Prince frickin' found dead in his house, in five minutes it's popping up on our computer. We're not waiting to watch. So I've watched that from, you waited for months for magazines to come out to where you had to wait to watch the evening news to hear about what's anything going on. And just watching the rapid technology pace. Look, at, look, we're creating our own media right now. You and I are talking to us. Someone will watch it. Some people will be interested. They'll learn from it. They'll think, cool, I got to watch skateboarders talk instead of watching some freaking you know, dumbasses talk about their tennis backhand or something like that because they're skateboarders. So it's more meaningful to them than sitting and watching the French Open. So, but because of this technology, we're, we're allowed to just throw, we'd throw this out there for them. We get to create our own media. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, to be honest, I'm 20 times more popular in, in skateboarding with my group of guys, like 50 plus year olds or like that, in the public eye than I was in the 80s. Because in the 80s, I rode for Tracker Trucks, you know. I was loyal to the people who sponsored me when I was a kid. Tracker Trucks were basically ripped apart by indie trucks and made fun of and talked shit on. And, you know, um, and basically Tracker Trucks started Transworld Skateboarding Magazine and Thrasher owned Indy, you know. Um, and basically, if you rode Indies, you got coverage in Thrasher. 
And you got coverage in Transworld because Transworld refused to be like Thrasher and covered people. They wanted to cover skateboarding honestly. Fucking politics. Fucking politics. What happened is if you wrote for Tracker, you actually got less coverage because they didn't want to look like they were being the other guys. So to be a Tracker guy was actually you were getting fucked by Thrasher and fucked by Transworld. You know? Um, And so no one really got to know who you really were. You'd be surprised how many people I run into and skate now came from my generation. He goes, fuck, dude, I didn't realize you skated that good. No, because because I just didn't get as many ads as this guy because he smoked weed with that guy and this guy, you know, rode for the right company and this guy partied there. And I was fucking working in a mortgage company and skating after work while those guys were getting high all day long and skating for an hour, but with the right photographer and with the right, you know, I got that. I just didn't play the game the way they did it. Yeah. Uh, but when social media really came about in the last 10 years, you know, no one could shut Jim up. You know what I mean? I can post what I want. I can say what I want. I can show shit I've made. I mean, I've, I've printed millions of decals for companies. I've made I've made a couple millions of skateboards, tons of thousands of different models for people. I've skated, got hundreds of places. I've been in like forty states. I you know I just look back through my photo archives. I post stuff. I share stuff. I'm just being me. And then people now, I feel much more embraced. Because people realize I do love skateboarding. I'm not just some business guy. I got into the business of skateboarding. I actually got into the business of skateboarding and had the balls to stand up against the skateboard industry and talk shit about them and tell the truth about the bullshit they were pulling and so on and so forth. Most of those other guys, they just followed along. You know, they're like little ducks. I was like, I'm not following your tails, dude. I'm going, I'm going to be a real skateboarder and think for myself. You guys call yourself skateboarders and the skateboarders are independent minded, but you're not being independent minded. You guys like call each other like five little guys in the brass ring club like, dude, do we let this happen? Do we let that happen? I'm like, fuck that. What do you mean you let that happen? You're not in control. Fucking, you know, the world's in control. You're just in it, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, but I mean, ultimately, like I said, social media changed the game. You know, the, the, and social media has changed the game for all skateboarders from here on out because you can get noticed by skateboarders if you do stuff that's noticed, that's interesting, you know, and gets spread around and stuff like that. Um, whereas you used to have to literally wait and see if Thrasher or Transworld gave you coverage. That yeah. was our only opportunity, you know. Um, and, and you were you you were labeled by by where you were in that game. Now you have every single person has their own opportunity to reach out there and show the world who they are as a person. Um, so it separates the game a little bit. And so I myself am much more confident of my place in the history of skateboarding than I was 20 years ago. Yeah. Because you know, back then I felt insecure about all this fucking, all the politics and being caught up in it. And now it's like, fuck that. You guys can't stop me from saying what I want to say. Yeah. You know, so. Well, because there's gatekeepers before. I remember having to send sponsor me tapes out and like, there's always politics and everything, unfortunately, in skateboarding. The one Our thing. guys are the game, you know, and, uh, and the, and the fact of the matter is there's a lot of guys scratching their heads who don't know what happened. I mean, see, I've been around so long, I realize that I sat and watched the Alva team sitting with leather jackets and dreadlocks at the early San Francisco Sick. contest. And they, like, they, while the new guys with their baggy jeans and, you know, tripping over their crotches were, you know, out there, they were actually laughing at them when they're skating, even though they bailed all day long as they tried to flip their board. But the thing is, there was just a new generation there, and the old guys just sat there and didn't understand what was happening. And it all fell out from under them. Well, now I see the same crew uh, of guys who took over the kind of street culture brands of the 90s, uh, the Zeros, the Girls, the, all those guys who went big, you know, in that next generation, still trying to do the exact same thing. How do you make skateboarding? Make a video, you know, edit together a video. What does their product matter? Not really. Just about, about video. It's all about video, you know. Um, and uh, 
And they're basically standing there while skateboarding is changing around them. New generations of kids skate everything. They skate mini ramps. They'll skate pools. They'll skate street. They'll skate everything. But they're still like, no, stairs, stairs, videotape, stairs, big gap, stairs. Like, okay, and to me, they're the Alva team 20 years later. You yeah. know what I mean? Now, they're the dudes standing in their dreadlocks, you know, whilst styles changing around them when they're oblivious to it. And, um, and I feel lucky that as a skater, I've always just kind of watched. I saw the street thing coming. Some parts of it I liked, some parts of it I hated. But it's what took over and you went with it. I found where I could skate and couldn't skate, and, you know. Um, and, uh, but I realized that I can't stop it. And you can't stop where skateboarding's going right now. You know, there's young kids with growing up with everything around them, you know, and with all these skate parks coming in, um, the shift from all street to street and tranny, it's already begun. You know, I don't, I don't really, I honestly wouldn't sponsor a kid right now if he didn't ride tranny. Now, not as his primary thing, but if he's one of those kids who just goes, dude, I just skate street. I don't ride tranny. Okay, cool. You're 10 years ago. Stay 10 years ago if you want. The world rides tranny now because it doesn't matter whether it's a quarter pipe or a bank or whatever else. The blended, ver- the new version of street skating involves tranny. You know? Yeah, yeah. They're hybrids. They're hybrids. I think it's sick. Yeah, dude, I agree. I mean, skateboarding keeps progressing. That's what's crazy. My thing now is, like, I don't think people realize the power they have and, like, the tools they have to create and share their skateboarding content. Because, like, I do audio, so I do interviews and stuff like that. And then I just recently started doing um, a vlog. And, like, some of my team riders start a personal vlog where they take, like, a chunk of time. Like, for me, it's, like, a week, and I create one episode of, like, whatever's going on with skating or whatever I'm into, you know? Um and put it on YouTube, and then some of my team riders have done that too. So it's like, it's so democratized now, the media is skateboarding. Like, you can just start creating your own little skateboard world with people involved and whatever. Like I do to whatever small extent I do, and that's probably one of my hardest things now, is when I did have a big skateboard company, I had purchasing guys, warehousing guys, manufacturing guys, accounting people. I would guide them all and manage them. And now I, I got really small, and my problem is I do invoices, I do purchase orders, I do sales, I actually do flyers. I post stuff on Instagram, on Facebook, on my decal printing company, on my wheel company thing that I start, on my personal page, on my wife's hair salon. Um, you know, I, I am videotape when I go skateboarding. Because if you go skateboarding, you don't post a clip on it don't keep current you have to stay in the mix you know so i don't care if it's 10 seconds worth of video on instagram if i'm skating somewhere i'm i hand some on my phone and go film my run dude this just like gotta get something just put it out there and it's not that i feel bound by it i just feel i get that it's part of the world now that's yeah. what keeps current it's where most of my business comes from. almost all of my decal business comes to me from skateboarding all my customers are dogtown skateboard black label skateboards i mean you name it you know it's like you know, mark johnson and you know the back 40 whatever that just trickles from every angle and I have no salespeople, and it's all because I stay in the mix of skateboarding. Everything's a referral from a person to a person to a person. Um, so yeah, I feel like uh, I am. I'm part media dude. I'm part sales guy. I'm part accounting person. I'm part dad. I'm part you know whatever. I mean, I, I'm all over the place. And sometimes it's uh, it's actually exciting because life's never boring and other times it's just sort of like crazy like my god i wish i could just focus on one thing yeah you know um i mean i set out today and i think i posted a little video my, my powerflex wheels have been working on are coming out next week you know um been working on it for a long time they're actually getting ready to ship and i and i want to start doing a i want to do a, a what do you call it, a promo uh, a game like okay you know i want to get people to you know enter a contest to win like the first set of wheels like ship before they even go to the dealers i want to ship the, someone the first set of wheels so i'd come up with an idea so 
So all of a sudden, half my day is I'm in a shop taking pictures of the shop owner to try to do something. Um, but then I come back and I had to have a, a, a conference call meeting with a guy at Hurley because I'm trying to show this 70s video over there in like three weeks and have like a big party with 300 people and blah, blah, blah. And then I talk to you at four o'clock and, nice. you know, I still got to get this thing on Facebook somehow and Instagram and start this contest and I still have to script it and I have to do the Photoshop work myself and the text and typing. I don't have an art department like I used to. <laughs> I, it's a different era. So it's both empowering because you can be a one man army. I mean, literally, okay, uh, let's, I'm starting this wheel company, PowerFlex. Rode for him as a kid. You know, um, the family's kind of bugged me. They'd like to get some PowerFlex stuff going again. They kept approaching me, and I go, well, if it's worth my while, I'll do it. They made me a proposal. I own so much of the company. They helped get it started. I'm like, okay, so we came to a conclusion. That's how I started on it. But now I'm a one-man army against some giants. You know what I mean? Because my mentality is because I've sold millions of skateboard wheels and skateboards, and I'm not going in there thinking I'm going to be a garage guy. That's part of the whole business aspect of it. If you think you're a garage guy, you're a garage guy. If you think you're a garage guy mentality, but you have every ability to do business against the giants, then you're going to be a lot bigger. So I've got, in my mind, I've got two competitors. I've got Spitfire and I've got Bones. Okay, I'm very realistic about it. Spitfire. That's a difficult one because they own a freaking magazine. You know, their 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 hype comes from being able to have other people use other people's money to promote their brand. You know, yeah, you run ads in my magazine so I can sell my brands. I mean, uh, and then Bones has just been out there for a long time. But I look at them as my only two competitors. I'm starting at number three as far as I'm concerned. I don't care how big I am. I go, that's it. Powerflex is number three. Now I have two competitors to aim after, but I'm a one-man army. So every time I even post something, I go, I hope those fuckers get it. And they sit back there at, at Powell or whatever, is that I am going to take a chunk of your business as one man before I, take, before I go and hire five more guys or like that because I am a passionate skateboarder, a, a, a talented guy, a guy who has experience and knows what's going on, and I got balls. So you guys better be ready because I'm coming to take some of your business. Nice. They know it's going to happen. They know they can't stop it because with social media and because, you know, the ability to do it and everything, and I do know what makes a good quality product, and you're not going to make shit. I get that. But uh, but it's kind of exciting when I look at sometimes I go, dude, I made that fucking video on my phone. You know what I mean? That would have taken me a crew of two guys and you know that were on full-time salary back in the day to edit a, a one-minute part. And I freaking did it on iMovie and filmed it all myself, you know? And like, um, So it's pretty cool. It's pretty empowering, the new world, if you really let it be. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I love it. I like it. I, it's what I do. I do the Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, and I do the vlogs now on YouTube as well. It's like finding balance in it, though, because you can't you got to know what's good for you, you know? Like, some people work themselves into a grave, and some people don't. Well, actually, what I wanted to ask you about was, do people think you're overly optimistic? Do you ever get that? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, honestly, for sure. There are some people in skateboarding that, that just, when I show up, they fucking, they're, they're probably just kind of pit. You know what I mean? Because they like being grumpy, and they like being dark. And, you know, my thing is like, Fuck, I'm going to show up, I'm going to laugh at myself, I'm going to giggle when I fall. You know, I would say I have three tricks. I carve, I grind, and I giggle like a little girl. <laughs> giggle like a little girl probably better than the other side. <laughs> I've had my days. I've done ten-foot fucking errors. I've, you know, I I've gone as fast as other people. I've done, you know I mean, I've proved anything as high in a pipe as most people ever did or whatever the, the accomplishments of my generation. I don't need to prove anything anymore, but that when I go skateboarding, it's fun. So I'm not going to let it be anything but optimistic. And I've learned it's so much radder leaving a session having stoked people out 
you know, than, than, than giving a shit that the grumpy dude didn't even like that you showed up in the first place. If I showed up somewhere at some skate park, and I know there's five people I saw there that were stoked I came, we gave high fives, we hugged, we smiled, we laughed a little, and then there's one grumpy guy like, I fucking hate that dude because he's fucking too positive. You know, it's like, well, dude, I'm sorry. I said, I don't, I don't, I don't know what's wrong in his life. I don't know what he tried to accomplish and failed and is angry about or, you know, what happened in his house growing up or, I mean, there's all sorts of factors that affects people's lives. I've just decided that being happy is more fun than being sad. Because literally, you know the shit I went through when I watched my company collapse? I had a hundred employees. Gnarly. I fucking lost a million dollars in like nine months. Okay? I wasn't a rich kid. That million dollars was ten years of a accumulating inventory building. I watched it all slip out from under me. I own three houses. I rent a house now. You know, I have every reason to be the most fucking grumpy dude at the skate park. Get out of my way. Skateboarding fucking ripped me off. Skateboarding didn't give me everything. But skateboarding didn't owe me anything either. You know what I mean? And, and the world is brutal. You know, um, it, it's no different. My wife's a hairdresser. No different than the hair business. You know, you, you, you build a girl up. She quits and goes somewhere else. And someone else in another salon tries to steal them. It's the same, it's the same shit. Real estate offices, no doubt. Oh, we want to steal their star real estate person to come work in our office or whatever else. Um, so to me, ultimately, being happy or being sad is a choice. You know, I have an, and I say this all the time, I think it's even my tagline on Facebook, I have a good list and a bad list. I, I prefer to focus on the good list because I have a long enough bad list of shit problems I have, whether it's tax problems, financial problems, you know, things that have you, you know, handcuffed because of, you know, literally issues from 15 years ago that you can't get away from, um, that I could just be depressed and, and, and hate life, but I choose not to be. I choose to look at the positive. I go down to the beach in the morning and, and look at like, oh, I don't have a waterfront home, but I fucking live so close, I can walk and still enjoy it. So what's the difference? You know what I mean? And I think anywhere you live, you can live in an apartment, and if there's a beautiful park where all the rich people walk their dogs, well, you can probably walk your dogs there too, so just go walk your dogs like you're a goddamn rich person and enjoy it as if you are. Stop focusing on the fact that those people go home and freaking eat lobster while you eat freaking Top Ramen. That's life, yeah. you know? Life is not fair, you know, um, and I, I definitely realize I have, have it better than most people ever will in so many places, in so many countries, um, and so no matter what shit has happened in my life, dude, I have, I have lived more, experienced more, had more fun, I've, I've stoked more people out, I've, I've given back, you know, whatever like that, I, I'm stoked on my life, you know, and my life's been rad. I mean, I, I'm incredibly fortunate. It's leg. It's been legendary for sure. <laughs> I mean, it's weird. It, it's weird when someone will say something like, "You're a skate legend." Like, well, you know, I mean, I, I'm I'm not Jay Adams or Tony Hawk, but I mean, I, I said I'm one of the few people who's never stopped skating in 40 years, who has always participated in the actual, the front end and the back end. I just participate as a skateboarder and the back end as an industry person, guiding things, helping people. You know, introducing people, guiding people along. You know, I mean, like I, I try to do my share. You know, and, and not out of obligation because it just actually makes me feel good. Yeah, I like I like um, skateboarding and I like business, and it's cool to um, to meet skateboarders that actually dabble in business too. It's right. It takes a lot, man. You know, and you got. You know, and again, I think it comes down to when I talked about personalities. Either you have it sort of in you, and it's a desire of yours, or you don't. Yeah. You know, some people don't like money, don't like whatever, not even that they don't like money, they don't like dealing with it, they don't like worrying about their bills, they don't like, you know, well, fuck, I worry about bills, I barely pay my bills every month too, like everybody else, but um, I understand it, I'm not afraid of it, yeah. you know, uh, 
And some people just, I think it's, again, it's how you're born. Some people just don't have any, they couldn't do business no matter if they, if they tried because they just don't get it, yeah. you know. Um, so, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm a really lucky dude. I, I mean, more than anything, I'm seriously, seriously lucky. I mean, and in skateboarding, I grew up in between, right, half smack dab between L.A. and San Diego. I've been in one of the hotbeds of skateboarding. So no matter at whatever low point there ever was in skateboarding, we always had something somewhere. Someone had a warehouse mini ramp. Someone had a ramp in their backyard. Something was going on where you had a little session going on. So, you know, even if it was only once every couple of weeks, you could all get together and skate. You know, the scene never died. You know, um, and, and I realized how fortunate it is. And I've been, like I said, so many states like that. I realize it's not as easy when you're out in the in the rural area of Indiana or something like that. And you're trapped, you're a skateboarder, and you want to get out and see the world. But, you know, we're born where we're born. It's not easy to leave where we're born unless we have a plan or a job or money or, you know, something. So, uh, but, I mean, how many skateboarders have we watched in our life who are adventurers? And they go out and they explore the world. They figure it out. They find a way. You know, and, and skateboarding is their magic carpet that you know kind of takes them on that ride. And, um, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. I mean, skateboarding, you know, it's something that you have to be a skateboarder, I think, to really understand. A lot of people probably, I mean, I'm sure a lot of adults that see my posts on Facebook about that who live in my neighborhood. I live in a pretty wealthy neighborhood in Newport Beach. And, I'm, and you know, I know that people see my posts and think, fuck, this dude's weird. You know what I mean? <laughs> they like me because I'm nice. I'm nice to people. I get along with everybody of every, you know, you know, poor and rich and whatever that. But I think there's definitely people who are probably just like really confused. Like, I mean, they probably think I'm Peter Panning at living some overgrown child thing. And I'm just like, I'm really not. I, I don't, you know, if I was, I'd be Mr. Super Risk Taker or that. You saw me skate. I carve, I grind, I cruise, I laugh. I, you know, um, I just enjoy, enjoy the motion. And I'm, I'm just incredibly lucky that I'm surrounded by, you know, so many rad people and, and get to experience so much cool stuff. Yeah, man. I think it's rad when people that live it and love it actually, uh, contribute to it and uh prosper from skateboarding because those people you know they live it and love it so they understand the struggle but there's no disconnect so it's always weird when it gets a little disconnected when it's just when skateboarding is just being sold all the time it sucks you actually need the physical act of skateboarding so you remember why you're even trying to sell it you know what i mean you don't have to sell it because when you just skate it's sick <laughs> the guys who really stopped skateboarding stayed in the skateboard industry um, there's a lot of confusion. They don't understand what's going on in skateboarding because you have to keep keep somewhat out in the world of actually riding a skateboard to feel the changes, to see that it is that it is ever evolving. You know, they're still sitting back there, kind of going, "But, but, but, how did Welcome become a big company and sell boards that aren't popsicle sticks?" And because kids kept changing to there was enough of kids willing to buy a board that wasn't shaped like a popsicle stick. And, and you never skated for the last 10 years, so you never saw that change happening. You just kept sitting there going like, why aren't they buying my popsicle sticks? Why are they buying his other board? I mean, like, to me, it's like, no, nah, it's just evolution. It just changes. and It's not done changing. It'll change again. You know, there isn't, there isn't the only guarantee in skateboarding is going to keep changing. Yeah, it's definitely alive and living, so. Jim, thank you, man. This has been a pleasure. You're the fucking man. Okay, well, it was awesome, too. I'm really stoked when I met you in Florida. I mean, I could tell within five minutes, just, just listening to you talk and seeing your passion, you know, um, I could tell we had that in common. You're one of those guys. You just love skateboarding. Yeah. You're going to do your thing for skateboarding, no matter what it does back for you. You're contributing to skateboarding, and I respect that. And uh, I knew it. Like, well, I, like, I like that, dude. And I, I've heard of your show before. I literally, not until today we were going to do this, I sat and watched a couple of episodes. I want to see who the heck, what the heck you did. Nice. You know what I mean? Like, you know, 
Um, and so it was like, cool. You know, so I, I, I have mad respect that you went out and, and put your own thing together and took charge of your own destination. Yeah. So keep that up. And I look forward to the time we uh, our paths cross again and we get to roll once more. Fuck yeah. Thank you again. You're welcome. Once again, thank you for listening and please check out our sponsors. Thank you to All I Need Skateboarding. Check out allineedskate.com and thank you to World Industries. Please check out worldindustries.com. Peace.